That the world would shrink and we would be able to communicate a false message across the world. That Israel would become a nation. That that the Roman Empire, the old Roman Empire would begin to reform. Uh, That we would see signs in the way that we interact. There would be ethnic wars and racial wars. And there would be problems between people. And that nations wouldn't be strong anymore. And people would begin to worship themselves. They'd establish their own truth. They would not only reject the things of God, but they would outright reject those who believe in the things of God. It wasn't that people would hear the things of God and say, well, I just don't believe that. No, the things of God are now the enemy. And we feel it as believers. And so what we do is we go to this book and we say, God, please let me understand what's going on. Help me to see what's happening in the world. If you have not watched this series, I hardly ever do this, but binge watch it, please. It's the most important series we've ever done at Remnants, most important series I've ever preached. We have talked about how there are so many signs right now that the dashboard of end times is lighting up like crazy. There are signs in the scriptures. There were signs in the prophets. There were signs in what Jesus said. There are signs in our world. They are all coming together and they're all flashing. Get ready. And so since it's August, I start thinking about Christmas, don't you? Right? I mean, it's August. Yeah, I start thinking about Christmas. My my thoughts naturally turn to Christmas. I've been thinking a lot about those wise men that were over in Babylon. Those wise men that we read about in the Bible. And just so you know, there weren't three of them. There were hundreds of them. And they were in Babylon. And it's credible to me. How God arranges every detail of every event in our world. We've studied how the people of Judah, the original Jewish people, were were taken over by the Babylonians and exiled to Babylon in about 600 B.C. And while they were there, we read about Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And we learn about Nehemiah who brought them back to Jerusalem and built the wall. But what we forget was... For 70 years, Daniel was in charge of the astronomers of Babylon. And they had the Jewish scriptures. So jump 500 years forward. Now these same wise men who have learned the Jewish scriptures are beginning to look for the birth of what the Jewish people called their Messiah. And it turns out that they were looking much harder than the Jewish people were. Think how incredible that is. 500 years later, probably 8 to 10 generations later, these Babylonian wise men are looking in the heavens because God told them in the scriptures there would be a sign in the heaven of when the Messiah is born. It's not even their Messiah. But they're looking at the the stars trying to figure out what God was talking about. They knew a king would be born. They were looking for this Jewish king. So the question is, based on what? They had the same scriptures the Jewish people had. What had the wise men seen in the stars that the Jewish people had missed? These men, likely hundreds of them, 
traveled across the desert for two years to come see this baby child that had been born. What in the world did they see in the sky that made them take two to three to four years of their life to go see this Messiah that was born that's not even their king? Wow. It's incredible when you think about it. What did they see that they recognized was the moving light that would, that would show them the king of the Jews and compel them to undergo a long and dangerous journey across the desert? What was so unusual? What was it that made them realize it was his star? Hold that thought for a moment. Have you ever wondered why God went to such extremes? To create the universe instead of just earth. You ever thought about that? There didn't have to be anything above us. There could have just been a blank canvas. Yet God, for some reason, gave us planets and stars. All the things celestial. He arranged them. He put them where they are. They've been in the same place over and over. They're rotating around the earth. Astronomers follow the North Star. What made him decide to do that and why did he do it? Why go to all that trouble? Genesis 1.14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Wait a minute. God gave us planets and stars for signs? What kind of signs? For seasons? What, what, what kind of seasons? God instructed us to pay attention to what's going on in the heavens above us. Luke 21, 25. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Yes. And now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. God himself said, there's going to be signs in the heavens. I'm going to speak to you. You will see them just like you see the signs on earth. Just like you see all the things I talked about, a one world economy, a one world religion. All those things are going to happen, but there's also going to be signs in the heavens. Joel 2.31, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Do you know who created the Zodiac? Put on your spiritual seatbelts for a minute. It's about to get just a little bit bumpy. Psalm 147.4, he determines the numbers of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Job 38, 31, God speaking. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with his children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? In the Pleiades, or seven sisters, is a cluster of stars nearest to the earth. 
There's seven of them, and then they're in the constellation of Taurus. You're starting to get nervous, aren't you, by the way? I said Taurus, didn't I? I mentioned one of the constellations. We're, we're starting to sort of get that kind of, ugh. I'm not sure if we're going where we need to be going. I want you to know that this is theologically safe, so just hang out for a minute and let me keep going, okay? The reason is almost all of us have been told, appropriately, to stay away from astrology. That is great advice. So we're going to do that tonight. But we have to understand what God's Word says. He says, can you lead forth the Maseroth? Can you guide the bear with his children? Maseroth is a Hebrew word meaning the 12 constellations of the zodiac. Each constellation is visible in the sky for a season. Each constellation has its time to be highlighted. The bear with its children is Ursa Major, or what we call the Big Dipper. And according to Job and God's word, it was God who brings out the Maseroth in a season. The 12 signs of the Zodiac. These constellations have been designed, placed by God in the heavens above us. We, we see them as signs of a woman, a virgin, a lion, some fish. God's word is clear that he created everything and that he's in control of everything, the universe, the stars, and the zodiac. Still getting nervous, aren't we? We're going to keep working through it. It may surprise you to think about the fact that God put those stars in place. When he created the world, he placed the stars, every one of them, exactly where they are, where we see them today. He's the one that holds them together. The zodiac, you may not know, is a series of constellations, 12 of them, each with three associated constellations called deacons. Each of the constellations in each of its area tells the story of Jesus. Whoa. If you work your way around the constellation from Virgo all the way around, you get the complete total story of man, the fall of man, the defeat of Satan, the rising up of Satan against God, the sacrificial death of the Messiah on, of all things, a cross, and the redemption of his followers and the ultimate destruction of Satan. When God created the universe, just let this just set in your mind for a minute, he placed the story of the fall of man and the redemption in the stars. That's what the zodiac is. God placed the stars in the heaven, he named them, he arranged them, and he incredibly wrote the story of mankind in the heavens for everybody to see. He told the story of man at the moment of creation and long before Greeks made a false god to replace things in the skies. And long before fortune tellers started bastardizing what God had put in place. The zodiac exists for one reason only. God put it there, he named it, and it is to be assigned to us. The 48 constellations have been identified going back to before the Chaldeans. Remember that Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldeans. These signs have been in the sky long before the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Greeks. 
And these dots could have been drawn any number of ways, right? You connect the dots before. They could be drawn any number of ways. And yet through culture after culture after culture, they have stayed exactly the same. Lion, scorpion, crab, fish, bull, ram, circle of animals. But then there's this maiden woman. And of all things, a balancing scale. That's odd. And these images have remained the same through every culture, including the 36 deacon images that go with them, all the way up to the present day. They've been named, they've been renamed, they've been made bad in many ways, but the original image has stayed the same. God said he created them, he set them in order, and he placed them there for us. They've remained essentially unchanged for 5,000 years. Almost most Christians have no knowledge of the zodiac because they've correctly understood that astrology is forbidden by God. So let's separate astronomy from astrology. Astronomy is the science of studying the stars and the planets particularly the movement of those heavenly objects. Astronomy is to the heavens what oceanography is to the seas. Astronomy is what makes us go to the moon, think about the wonder of God, explore the incredible universe that he created. Most who study the stars with a pure heart find themselves being drawn closer to God, knowing the constellations, the North Star, and the position and movement of the planets makes us stand in awe of the complexity and order of God's creation. Astronomy, like physiology or oceanography, draws us to the heart of our Creator. God tells us that anybody who lives on Earth should be aware of who He is because He has revealed Himself to us in His creation. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. It's incredible. What he's saying is, look, the skies proclaim the knowledge at night in a language that goes throughout the whole world. These images are clear to everyone. It's as if God took one of those old Viewmaster slides. You remember those? And he clicked on them, and there are images in the sky going around telling the story of man, the fall, the redemption, Jesus, the defeat of Satan. All of that is in a big Viewmaster in the sky above us. And it was put there the moment God created the universe. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and by him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The only reason that the constellations are in place is because Jesus is holding them together right now. He gave the stars to us as a sign. They are for His glory. Now, while astronomy is a worship experience of God, astrology is the worship of Satan. Let me repeat that. Astronomy can be a worship experience of God. 
Just like we study the ocean, we study the human body, we study creation, we study nature, and we fall on our face going, God, you're incredible. Astrology is the worship of Satan. It's occultism. It's pagan. It's people worshiping the creation instead of the creator and making created things their God. Throughout the Bible, God condemns any practice that replaces him with something. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you go to anything, I don't care if it's a star, a planet, a bumblebee, whatever it is, and you're seeking guidance from that instead of from God, you're in a sinful place. But like everything God created, Satan is trying to ruin. There's nothing wrong with knowing the zodiac constellations. There's absolutely nothing wrong with studying the planets and the stars and the movement. It's what we call biblical astronomy. We get in dangerous areas, though, when we think the stars themselves are telling us something separate from God. Or that we're born under some zodiac sign that affects who we are, how our day is going to go, and what's going to happen. We're in trouble when we begin to look at the stars for any sense of truth coming from the stars themselves. It's called astrology, and it is definitely and absolutely forbidden by God. I can't be any clearer than I just was. Horoscopes, astrology, fortune-telling, stay away. But have you ever wondered why Satan chose constellations as the object of worship for his followers? Those who have been deceived by Satan almost always turn to symbols of the constellations, horoscopes and planets and stars to give meaning to their lunacy. Satan has always tried to counterfeit the things of God. God said he wrote signs in the heavens and Satan does all he can do to make sure that no one sees them. I heard of Christians being ridiculed by their church for buying telescopes, for studying the constellations. In fact, Satan has been so effective at this deception that most Christians recoil at the idea of thinking about the constellations. Yet despite Satan's purpose to dissuade us, God told us to look to the heavens for signs. Not to look for signs in the heavens, to look for his signs through the heavens. Do you see the difference? It's huge. We're not to look at the stars and go, wow, look at the stars. Look at what the stars are telling me. No, look at what God is telling me in the way he's arranged the stars. God has placed announcements for us in the skies. Jesus' birth was announced with a star, and he tells us in his word that his return will be preceded by signs and wonders in the sky and in the heavens. God's plan for man is revealed in the pictures of the constellations. They've been badly corrupted by astrology, but the scriptures themselves imply that these pictures and meanings were established by God himself. Such scriptures indicated that God had a purpose in identifying these stars and constellations in exactly the way he did so. He wanted to imprint his purpose and his promises in the heavens above us. 
Thus the heavens declare the glory of God and have been uttering speech and showing us the story of God in the stars above us since the universe was created. For example, Genesis 3.15. The Lord God said to the serpent, this is because of the fall. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So what God is saying is, look, there's going to be someone who comes from the woman who will be my person. My person is going to destroy you. He's going to crush your head, Satan. You're going to be able to attack his foot, but he's going to destroy you. You ever seen that in the stars? Let's take a look. If you look at the constellation, what you see is a man wrestling a large snake being bit on the foot by a scorpion. I don't have to tell you what that is, right? You can name it whatever you want through Greek mythology or whatever. You can give it a name, but I'm telling you, that's Jesus, and he's fighting the serpent. Right next to him is another constellation. Let's go to that one, please. Leo the lion, the tribe of Judah, pouncing the head of the serpent. These have been in the stars since before we ever existed, since before the fall of man. As you go around the zodiac, you see the story of God. But Satan doesn't want you to see it. The last thing he wants you to do when you're falling asleep looking at the stars is to see how incredible God is. So what if there's signs in the heavens pointing to the second coming, just like there were for the first coming? What if God told the story not only in the events happening on earth, not only in the prophets, not only in the scriptures, not only in the feasts, but also in the stars? The wise men from Persia and Babylon, they saw something incredible in the stars. They'd never seen it before. The Spirit of God revealed to them what they were seeing. They knew that that star was the king's star, the star of the new Jewish Messiah, and they knew that he'd been born. The Babylonian wise men were watching the constellations for a sign in Leo because Leo represents the tribe of Judah. They knew that from the scriptures. And they were looking at Virgo, the woman, because she shows them the virtual woman, the, the virtuous woman, the, the pure virgin of Israel. Now, these two constellations are always together going through space, going through space together all the time. They never change. So what were they looking for? What they were looking for is the way the planets move through the constellations. The constellations are the background. They don't change. The planets move through them. God created the universe with the constellations as a backdrop and the planets rotating through the constellations. That's what we look at when we look at the sky. Most of us are not real familiar with the various stars. We can identify maybe the Big Dipper or maybe the North Star. But that wasn't true for a first century audience. In the desert lands of Israel, it gets very hot in the summer. 
In fact, houses were built with roofs that were more like patios so people could sleep outside at night where it was cooler. Many nights the Jewish people would fall asleep looking at the stars and planets and praying to God. There's something really special about the feeling that you get when you realize the vastness of the universe, the smallness of you, and the greatness of God. And because they were familiar with the stars, they could look into the sky and name the constellations and name the planets that were closest to us. With the naked eye, they could see the planets all the way out to Saturn. They knew which planet was which. They knew which one it was going to be. Beyond Saturn, they had to have a telescope. But the ones that were closest to Earth, almost every first century Jewish person could identify each planet without difficulty, as well as the constellations. They were able to see the inner planets with the naked eye. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. They knew the significance of each constellation. Not the Greek significance, not the mythology significance, the significance that God had given to the Jewish people. According to Josephus, God had revealed the meaning of the constellations to the Jewish people, and it was handed down from person to person to person, just like the Word of God was. First century Jewish audience would look at the constellations. Leo the lion was always the tribe of Judah. Virgo the virgin was a symbol of the pure Jewish woman in the nation of Israel. They knew the various constellations and they understood that they remained constant and the planets moved through them. Every night they likely pondered the wonder of God. They understood what things meant. Some meanings came straight from Scripture. Venus is always called the morning star because that's the star you see at sunrise over on the edge of the horizon. That's Venus. In fact, when you see a planet next to the moon, it's almost always Venus. 99.999% of the time. When you look at the moon, you see a planet next to it, it's, it's Venus. That should reassure us because Jesus told us that was his star. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jupiter is the largest planet and has always been associated with God. The moon has always been associated with Israel. They, they have this lunar calendar. Everything they do is based on the phases of the moon. The, the beginning of the feasts are based on the phases of the moon. And there was another star that was very significant to the Jewish audience, and it was called Regulus. And Regulus was in Leo the lion, representing Judah, but it's a very bright star at the heart of the lion. And to them, that was the heart of Israel. Huge star, extremely bright, positioned in the heart of the lion. Now, many of us spent Monday this week being junior astronomers, right? looking at the eclipse, trying to figure out what it's about. It was difficult to watch the eclipse and not wonder if God was trying to tell us something. When you see those things happen in the skies, they just, they just don't seem random. At least it makes us pause and wonder. And while I don't believe the eclipse had any special significance, it does make us realize that God has orchestrated the planets. He's placed them in order. He's done some incredible things. And he's made the supernatural seem natural. So what did the wise men see that made them leave and go try to follow the virgin? Many have tried to turn back astronomy programs and look at the skies over Jerusalem during this time to see if they could see anything. 
try to recreate via computer analysis what the skies look like, perhaps on the day Jesus was born. What sign did God put in the heavens? Some have looked at the skies, and on November 11th, 9-11, 2003, I'm sorry, AD 3, they look in the skies and they see something they'd never seen before. The planet Jupiter, representing the Father God, has crowned Regulus, the heart of Judah, and they believe that star would have been extremely bright and brighter than any other star that's ever been seen. Others believe the star of Bethlehem was a supernova. Most people believe that it was a unique supernatural rising star that had never been seen before and had operated outside the normal physical bounds of astronomy. Regardless of what it was, and this is the important point for us tonight, no matter what it was, there can be no doubt that the astronomers from the east saw a star that God had placed in the heavens, and they knew through the Spirit of God that the king had been born. The evidence was so strong that they left home for over three years to go see this king. And we learn a critical, important truth from those wise men. We may see things. We may think we see things as signs from God. In fact, sometimes they are. But we need to make sure that once we've seen something, we've confirmed in our spirit what God says it is and what it means. There's only one reason the wise men left to go find the Messiah. And it was not the star in the sky. It was the fact that God had confirmed to them that this was his star. It was the revelation of the Holy Spirit to them that this is the star. Go find the Messiah. So if the stars tell the first coming of Christ, do they do the same for the second coming? Is there any mention in end times of a prophecy of signs in the heavens that would point to the end of times? In Revelation 12, at the middle point of the tribulation, Right after the seventh trumpet has blown, there's a period of silence in heaven as people realize the magnitude of the bowls that are about to be poured out. John takes us on an interlude to tell us about some things in the heavens. Revelation 12.1 And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. He says this is a great sign. Not as mundane, perhaps, as a solar eclipse. This is a great sign. It is a great sign, and it's in the heavens. John tells us during this pause in the action at the midpoint of tribulation, after seven seals have been opened, the seven trumpet judgments have happened, and there's this 30 minutes of silence, and he knows that the next three and a half years will be the great tribulation. Times so bad that God himself says he's going to cut them short. So what did we see in Revelation 12? What is John describing to us? And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out with birth pains and the agony of giving birth. That's the great sign that John says he sees in the heavens. It was unique, uncommon, had never been seen. And it's critical, critical to know that John did not tell us what this sign meant. 
All he said is in end times there will be a sign in the heavens. So John tells us that one of the signs that signals the end times will be this great sign. We're given many clues that we can understand. The woman is Virgo, who represents Israel. She's clothed in the sun, or we should see the sun backlight her. The moon will be under her feet, and she will be crowned with 12 stars. The crown of Israel has always, or the crown of Israel in Scripture has always been the tribe of Judah. In the constellation just above the head of Virgo is Leo the lion representing the tribe of Judah. The problem is that Leo, to the naked eye, only has nine planets. The Bible says there's 12 stars making up the crown. So for John's sign to occur, three more stars have to join Leo in the perfect arrangement of a crown. The stars moving through the constellations are the planets. So we're going to look for a time when three planets align with the nine planets of Virgo or Leo, crown Virgo at the same time, the exact same moment. The constellation has to show us that this woman Virgo is pregnant and delivering a child. In addition to that, we have to be able to see the constellations, the planets, the sun, the moon, all at the same time. Most likely this sign will occur at sunset when we can see all these things. Or God may make it supernaturally visible to us. So the question is, how often has that actually happened? Never. Then John uses a very interesting connector word. He says, and another sign, a separate sign appeared in heaven. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. Now, there's no indication in Scripture how much time passes between these two signs. Struggle between the tribe of Judah and Jesus and Satan is found in the constellation Ophiuchus, cleverly renamed the Serpent Holder. In this constellation, Jesus is seen wrestling and controlling the serpent Hydra. The serpent obviously represents the dragon, but the serpent has 13 stars on his head. What is unusual is we're told that there will be a dragon with seven and ten horns, bringing up the image of the reunited Roman Empire. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations, and the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God on his throne, and the woman fled into the darkness, where she's a place prepared by God, where she'll be nourished for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. This woman is going to give birth to a child, Jesus, and he'll rule the nations pointing to his return and his wrath. This woman, Israel's child, will be caught up to God in his throne. She gives birth to a male child. Satan wants to devour that child. But this child is taken up to heaven before Satan can get to him. In the same word that we get rapture. The woman will be forced to flee into the wilderness where God will protect her. We're going to get into all this when we get into Revelation 12. But here's what I want us to focus on. Did God really paint that picture in the sky? 
I mean, if wise men could see the first coming of Christ in the stars, and John tells us in Revelation there will be a great sign for the second coming, do we ever see that actually happen in the stars? It's never occurred, not once. Planets have never moved through those constellations to make those things happen. It's never happened. Remember what we need. A woman, Virgo, clothed in the sun. Blood moon under her, or moon under her feet. Her head's going to have a crown of 12 stars. It means three stars have to join Leo. Pregnant, crying out in birth pains. And actually delivering a child of God. We've never seen anything like that in astronomy. It must be a sign yet to come. Many biblical astronomers believe that on the day that sign occurs, the end times will somehow begin to advance. This great sign is told in the sky by John in Revelation 12 should be one of the greatest signs that we ever see in the stars. It's not happened yet, so we have to wait for it. However, this exact alignment, according to astronomy computer-based projections, will happen one time in the next thousand years. And it'll happen for the first and only time in human history. So how long do we have to wait? 28 days. Let me show it to you on this video, and then I'll come back and talk about it. Hello and welcome. Today, I want to briefly discuss with you a very important topic in which the sun, the moon, and the stars will align with perfection to fulfill a 2,000-year-old prophecy. Perfection only found from the creator of heaven and earth. This prophecy was written down in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Holy Bible, directly from Jesus. This book was given to us so that we would know the time of the end, what to expect, and to know what would happen. Let's read Revelation 12 together. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So what we see written here is the constellation Virgo, which is known as the woman, who is clothed with the sun. That means the sun is currently in the constellation Virgo. The moon is under her feet. And above her head is a crown of 12 stars. And Jupiter enters her belly, stays there for nine months, and exits, showing a birth. So in this very descriptive passage, we see all phases. The sun, the moon, and the stars all coming together to form a picture of a birth. And again, lastly, the nine stars from Leo, always above her head, plus the three wandering stars aligned perfectly for the crown. God himself spoke through the prophet Daniel and said that these things would be sealed up until the time of the end, as in nobody would really understand until the end came. Thanks to technology, we have a program called Stellarium. 
and allows us to go forward and backward in time and see how the stars align. Because as they have seen, every star, every planet known as a wandering star follows a mathematical equation. This alignment has never happened. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God himself says the sun, the moon, and the stars will be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. This prophecy is no exception. What's also really interesting is when Jesus was telling his apostles of when he will return, he himself said that there would be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth the stress of nations as in much trouble going on as we see now. Hopefully by now you see that this topic is worthy of your time for further investigation. This is something that you can see with your very own eyes and confirms that the Bible is true. If you haven't done so, okay. please I, uh, seek Jesus Christ today, as time may be running out. So, astronomers tell us that in about four weeks we will see something that looks like it could be this sign. Could be one of the most important signs we've ever seen in the stars. Occurs actually during the fall feast of trumpets, by the way, which we'll talk about next week. A feast that many associate with the rapture of the church. Now, this is where many people make a mistake right here. It's where they make a mistake interpreting scripture. Remember that the rapture is a signless event. If we see a sign in the heavens, it is pointing to the second coming of Jesus, not the rapture. When Jesus comes to get his bride, there are no signs that precede that. That's why we believe it could happen at any moment. When Jesus says there are signs in the heavens pointing to the end of times, he's talking about signs that are pointing to his return to earth physically. We've talked about that already. It's critical that this sign likely has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture is imminent without any sign ahead of it. Many on the internet are going crazy over this sign in the sky. And if it is the sign of Revelation 12, and maybe it is, then it is a great sign. And it signals that the end of time is very near. Big surprise, right? We've been saying that for nine weeks. We've looked at the world. We've looked at the Bible. We've listened to the prophets. We've looked at everything. We know the end of the world is near. It's no surprise to us. However, this brings up a critical point for us to understand. No sign, no matter how much hype there is about it, no matter how cool it seems to be, has any meaning unless the Holy Spirit of God says it has meaning to us. No matter what you might think, the only thing that matters is what God actually says it is. The star of Bethlehem was cool. But what made the wise men rearrange their life around that sign in the sky was a revelation by the Holy Spirit to them that this was his star. Even if we agree that this is the Revelation 12 sign that we see in the sky, the question still remains, what does it mean? 
And that's where things start to get really crazy really fast. There are some incredible doozies out there on the Internet. All kinds of things. In fact, in my opinion, Satan has ripped up many false prophets and false teachers to lead people astray. We were warned of this. 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, I promised when we started this series that we would avoid wild speculation. I also promised that we would not scoff at everything we see that might point to the end times. Jesus said there will be signs in the heavens prior to the return of Jesus. Very specific signs. He didn't put a time frame on them. Over the last few years, we've seen blood moons align with the Jewish feasts. We've seen solar and lunar eclipses. And if the astronomers are right, we may see the sign of Revelation 12 over Jerusalem during the Feast of Trumpets in four weeks. I believe that it is likely a significant sign if that's true. In and of itself, it may not signify anything. But in light of all the other signs that we're seeing, I think we have to note it. Wonder about it. Marvel at God's creation and sovereignty. Pray for revelation about it. And trust God to reveal to us what we need to know about it when we need to know it. So here's my advice regarding this sign. If someone tells you that they think they know what it means, they're fools. The only thing we care about when it comes to signs of God is what God says they are and what they mean. When we start writing into Scripture what's not there, we'll mislead people and cause all kinds of unnecessary hysteria. All we can safely say from Scripture is that the great sign will appear in the heavens during the end times. The Bible never tells us what it means, when it will actually occur in the timing of end time events, or what may or may not immediately follow it. So we turn to Scripture to find out what God says. Here's what God says in the Scriptures. What the sign of Revelation 12 and perhaps September 23rd, 2017 really means. It's not my opinion. It's not my deduction from the evidence. This is truth straight from the Word of God. The sign of Revelation 12, God says, means... You sure you want to know? You sure you want me to tell you? Yes. Brace yourself. You ready? Yes. That was it. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. That's what it means. It's the only thing it means. It means nothing else. If that's a sign of end times in the heavens, the only thing it means is get ready. It doesn't mean the rapture is imminent. It doesn't mean that there will be wars. It doesn't mean anything. All it means is get ready. Jesus said in the scriptures, I'm going to put signs in the skies so you will know it's time. 
Stop wasting your time trying to figure out what's going to happen in a month and make sure you and every person you know is ready for whatever it is. Get ready. It's what this sign means. Nothing more, nothing less. It's one of many flashing lights on a dashboard of end times that we've been going through. It just adds to the story. How do I know that? Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We're living in times that have been previously unprecedented. Those who could interpret the signs that Jesus was coming the first time, they didn't know the exact day, but they knew the season. We too have been given many, many signs, and we too should know the season. Please understand that I am not setting dates or suggesting some huge prophetic event has to happen in four weeks. In fact, Jesus says no one knows the date and the time of his return. So many people are anticipating the rapture when this sign appears, if it appears, and if it is the sign, that the one thing I can tell you is we're probably not going to get raptured on the 23rd. What I am saying is that there are signs everywhere. That God put signs in the heavens. He put them on earth. He declared his glory and his majesty. He's put signs on earth. He's given us his scriptures. He came down to earth to tell us what was going to happen. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, and he's never been wrong. And Jesus said this, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out leaves, you know summer's near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until... Until the day Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. We always have to say that loud in church just in case anybody fell asleep. Okay. For you do not know the day that the Lord is coming, but know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let the house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. This week, I wrote an open letter to the church and to my family and friends about the end times and this series. Why I believe the rapture is imminent. I live with that expectation every day. I think he could come back any time. What surprises me each night when I go to bed is that he didn't come back. And when I wake up in the morning, I pray that this could be the day. God said he's coming back, and I really, really, really believe him. And I believe that life becomes incredibly exciting when you live it from an eternal perspective, expecting to go home at any moment.
I was surprised by the response I got from the letter. Praise God, it's been forwarded to over 800 people. But what caught everyone's attention was the last line. I don't think we will be here to finish this series. Did I tell you this is a 30-year series? No. I thought nothing of that line, but it freaked out a lot of people. So I want to address it. I've never done a series in my life where I didn't wonder, hope, and expect that God would return before we finished it. I really expect God to come back at any moment. I live in that reality. I don't have any special insight or revelation. It's just my opinion. I'm the last person to set a date. But if you ask me, I will tell you it's today. Jesus said in the passage that we just read, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Most scholars believe that Jesus was telling us that once the end times start rolling, it will all happen within one generation. Many believe that that generation started with the people that were here when Israel became a nation in 1945. We're seeing signs everywhere. And I believe our generation is the one spoken of by the prophets. And since I believe in a pre-trib rapture, I anticipate that rapture could happen at any moment. I live in that reality. If you ask me what day I think the rapture will be, I'll tell you whatever day we're on. But if Jesus doesn't rapture his church during my lifetime, I am totally cool with that. It's his rapture. But I also know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And either my death or the rapture is going to have the same outcome for me in the split second. I will be with Jesus. So no matter what I'm going to be, so no matter what, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus in the next 50 years. Probably much sooner. So no, I've not lost my mind. I've not become one of those crazy date-setting, end-times lunatics. I simply live my life based on what I really believe. If we finish this series... We're all still here, praise God. Because that means there were people God's waiting for, just like He waited for you and for me. Maybe it's all for you. Maybe God's waiting for you to trust Him and return to Him so that you don't have to stand under His wrath. Maybe this series is for you. Maybe God is waiting for your surrender. And using this series to get you to finally trust Him as your Savior. I hope so. And if it is, that's definitely worth waiting for. Second Peter, the Lord will not, is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. No one believed Noah, even though in his front yard was the largest boat ever built up to that date by mankind as a massive sign that something was going to happen. Signs are not what's going to save us. Don't worship the sign. Don't freak out about the sign. If it's there, it's there. That's fine. 
It is our response to the one who put the sign there that matters the most. There's only one thing that we need to focus on in light of everything that we've seen and talked about in the last 10 weeks. And if God is showing us the sign of Revelation 12, it's for one purpose and one purpose only. Get ready. When you see things, you know that he is near at the very gates for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. How it all plays out, we'll leave in the hands of the Savior. Next week, we're going to look at the last prophetic sign we'll cover before actually diving into Revelation. We're going to look at what God says about the seven feasts of the Lord, the, pro- the prophetic significance of those times that were appointed by God, and why the fall feasts are so important prophetically. Specifically for us, what the Feast of Trumpets really means. So let's pray. God, it's incredible that you wrote your story in the stars. It feels weird to us. It feels crazy to us. And God, we just embrace that. But we can't deny that you told us you were going to put signs in the heavens. You told us to look for them, and you even told us what they were. And all those signs point to is that you're coming back, and we already know that. So God, help us to avoid hysteria. Help us to avoid any sense of astrology. Help us to marvel at your creative genius. But most of all, God, help us to be ready. Help us to share the message. Help us to begin to live our lives in the certainty of what you've promised us, that you will return. Help us to begin to look at things from your perspective and not ours. And God, if there's people that are hearing my voice who do not know you, who don't really understand all that's going on, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you just show them how much you love them and how this entire thing has been orchestrated for each of us? And that you're working out your plan because you want all of us to come home. So God, we thank you for what you've given us. We thank you that you set guardrails for us when we look at things like astronomy. We thank you that you gave us your word, that you gave us so many signs. But most of all, God, we thank you that you gave us Jesus. Because every sign, every word of your book, every star, everything in creation, everything in our hearts and everything about us points to him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.